Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm so glad that you joined us here. I hope you're having a fine and fantastic day wherever you may be in our fine universal church. Well, let's start with a quote from one of the superstars of our Catholic faith. Quote, never be in a hurry. Do everything quietly and in a calm spirit. Do not lose your inner peace for anything whatsoever, even if your whole world seems upset. End quote from the great St. Francis de Sales. And he's always got some great words of wisdom for us to follow, as do all the saints, in helping us live a Christian life. And uh, our, uh, it's a difficult road sometimes, but boy, when we have the saints in our corner and interceding for us, how can you go wrong? And uh, timely too, because the name of the gentleman that's going to be joining us today, Dave Plisky, works for DeSales Media, named, of course, after the great St. Francis DeSales. So we're going to talk about a real interesting study that they conducted on what they call Catholic intentional disciples. So we're going to learn about what that uh, definition of intentional disciples is. And uh, the purpose of the study was to discover unmet needs of Catholics who are already serious about following Jesus Christ. So I think you're really going to appreciate the observations, the data that was collected. And uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be up to the church, up to you and me, of what we do with data like this and how we implement this and how we continue to encourage Catholics to grow in their faith, to live the sacramental life, and to live out the vocation that the Lord has called them to, to the very fullest. So you know I'm a numbers guy. I love statistics and data, and uh, there's some really interesting data that came from this report here from the sales media. So without further ado, here's our friend Dave Plisky. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, Dave Plisky is the Director of Product and Innovation at DeSales Tech, where he leads a software and services team focused on modernizing the church through products and services that together create a communications hub for dioceses, parishes, schools, and ministries. And through the special project that we're going to talk about on Intentional Disciples, Dave and his team use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us to help all of us Catholics put our faith into action. So I'm very excited to welcome Dave Plisky to the Catholic Connect podcast. Dave, welcome. Thank you so much, Dave. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, you know what? Uh, weather has, uh, the snow has descended upon us here in uh, in Alberta, where I'm recording this from. So uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll warm the hearts of some people to get them uh, well, a little bit more active in, in the Catholic Church and uh, get them out there and evangelizing a little bit. You've got a great study and some great work that you and your, your team have been doing here, Dave. But before we get into what you're doing at DeSales Media, maybe give us an idea of how the seeds of faith were planted in your life and how you got involved in this type of a ministry. Sure, I'd love to. Um, so um, I'm a cradle Catholic. I'm originally from Southern California, so the West, but not the Northwest uh, <laughs> of our great continent. Not so much um, snow there, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, not so much. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I grew up um, always very interested in the faith. But, but my family was not particularly religious, I guess I'll say. You know, we always went to church, but I didn't really understand that there was much more to it than that, you know? Um, and uh, how, how could I, right? I was a kid. I didn't, I really didn't know better. Um, so it wasn't until much later that my faith life really kind of started developing. It really started in college, I guess. Um, I, um, I actually studied abroad in Australia for a semester where I ended up getting in touch with uh, a Protestant um, Bible group 
Um, I was still going to mass uh, on Sundays, but it, there was just no community like I had gotten used to at college where I was going. Where you know there was a Newman Center at my college, so it was it was like full of vibrant Catholic community. And once that was lost, I was really kind of searching for that. So um, I started you know kind of understanding a little bit more about the Bible at that point, and you know d- doing that. But um, but it wasn't really until like the last you know three four years, which is since the time that I've been working at DeSales. I've been here almost six years now. Um, that you know, my faith has really started to develop in a serious way. Um, it, but into, but let me go back a second. So you asked, you know, how I how I got into working, you know, in ministry and working at the sales. Um, so it's kind of a funny story. I I was living in Prospect Heights in Brooklyn, which is where the Co Cathedral of Saint Joseph is. So that was my home parish when I was there. I I lived in New York for almost ten years. Basically, met my wife, and then we you know got out of the city as you do. Um, and so you know. While I was there, um, I would I, I had a good relationship with my with our our pastor, and I would go to dinner with him, you know, quarterly. And I didn't know it, but he was also the chairman of DeSales Media Group, this this uh, company that was, you know, largely a lay ministry that I knew nothing about. I I didn't, you know, and DeSales does all kinds of things that I really just wasn't aware of. Uh, but uh, I had done marketing my whole career up until this point, and. Always, always in my career, um, you know, especially uh, the companies I was working for in New York, you know, I got a lot of experience. It was great teams I was working on, but ultimately at the end of the day, I was kind of finding myself feeling that, that like, is this, am I doing something meaningful? Does this matter? You know, and like I was working for a beauty brand, for example, it's like, you know, all right, like, I guess you could argue that I'm helping women feel beautiful superficially maybe, but at the end of the day, I don't care about makeup, skincare and fragrance, you know, and I worked at a, at a social media tech startup uh, after that. And, you know, it, it just felt like I'm just helping the CEO get rich. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's all that this really feels like. Mm-hmm. So I remember having a conversation with my pastor um, at, at that time, and um, and I said to him, you know, how do I work for the church? I actually think I said a much dumber version of that because I didn't know how anything worked, uh, <laughs> but he understood what I meant, and he's like, oh, uh, let's, you know, he he gave me some pointers. It didn't really go anywhere, but it, he kept it in the back of his mind. And since I had done marketing my whole career, four years later, I think, um, when I was I was already at a different company by then, I mean, you know, he's he said, you know, that, that our director of marketing and digital is coming up, uh, you know, is going to be leaving. Are you still interested in working for the church? And we kind of ended up having a series of interviews that ultimately led to me joining to sales. And then about three years after that, I had built up the department and kind of gave it away to a, a colleague of mine and started a new uh, division into sales that allowed us to focus on, you know, communications technology and helping the church modernize. So, and that's so important now in this, this digital yeah. age, right? We need to kind of make some changes uh, in yeah. order to to reach out to people. So, a lot of challenges in the world here, especially in the last couple of years as well, right? So, uh, you know, Absolutely. just a quick question for you, Dave, because I, I work in a secular job as well. And, it, it is what it is. There's a lot of great things about it too. There's a lot of opportunities to share your faith in places like yeah. that. I think a lot of our listeners are probably in those shoes as well. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think it's important too that we we take experiences that sometimes we get from the outside world, from that secular world. And there are ways that we can bring that and apply that into our own lives, into our own ways that we evangelize and even some ways that we can reach out in the church. Is, is that fair to say, Dave? Absolutely. And I, and I wasn't trying to say that that's not for other people. You know, I just, I was just, there was a hunger in my heart for, Mm. for working for the church. Um, 
you know, but I, but I agree, you know, what people, people often think when we say the word volunteer, you think of a soup kitchen or a food pantry or something like that, you know, volunteering can take so many forms and, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's so important for us to understand what our vocation is, understand our, our individual charisms, right? As, as people of God, as children of God, we are, you know, all given to uh, the same spirit, though we have these different manifestations of what the body looks like. Uh, and, um, and so, yeah, it, understanding what your what your strengths are, what your talents are, and being able to to, to know that the church could probably use those too. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, working in ministry, the most talented individuals you have had long careers in the secular in some secular space, right? G- generally, that's been the case that I've seen over and over again. But even those who stay in a secular space can be really valuable to their parish or to other ministries that they are a part of. That you know that help. To help people, uh, you know, in their in their discipleship, that bring them to Christ in some way. Yeah, for sure. And blooming where you're planted too, right? And and mm-hmm. sometimes those opportunities to maybe maybe be working in the church or around the church or volunteering or do they might not come right away for you. But uh, what you're doing right now can teach you a lot of lessons and even point you in the direction to maybe doing something that God wants you to do as well, right? So absolutely. And sometimes it even happens in the companies, you know. Absolutely. Uh you know, we, we both are lucky to be living in countries where we have religious freedom. And, you know, people are able to to start, you know, I don't want to call it a ministry necessarily, but a little group, even just a little prayer group could mm. could really be in all the difference to someone who's kind of uh new to that sort of thing. Absolutely. The sales beta. This sounds like a real uh, exciting venture that's uh, been around for a little while, I guess already. I'm a little bit new to it as well. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned the diocese of Brooklyn. Um, how far does the the sales media? How far does that reach go out? Is it uh, does it kind of focused on that? Uh, I guess that'd be New York, right? New York State, or is it yes. kind of branch out into the Northeast, or how does it all work? Well, it actually, and in, in some ways, it branches all the way to you. Um, so we, um, so we, so we we have partners uh, who are based out of outside of Vancouver. Uh, I don't know if you know sure. the Glass Canvas guys. Absolutely, I interviewed uh, them. Uh, that was uh, a year ago, I guess already. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so, so we're we're business partners with them, and and Excellent. we sell some of their tech products uh, uh, all over the place. So, so yeah, we we do have a little bit of a presence uh, around the country and even into Canada. Um, but yeah, so in, uh, just at a very high, quick kind of high level, um, the sales media. I mean, technically, some of our brands have been around for a very long time. Our our, our the New York uh, Catholic newspaper is called the Tablet. It's been around for I think 114 years this year. So oh, it's been around, yeah. uh, a fa- <laughs> it was a tablet um, at that time when it started. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also have a Spanish language newspaper and a nightly newscast. That's kind of our news thing. Oh, great. We, okay. Yeah. We we have a television station called Net TV. Uh, it's kind of New York Catholic television station. Um, and we also do original programming on that station. So um, one way that people could experience some of the stuff we've been doing is um, a project called The Chair. We went around to um, 85 dioceses uh, around the country and interviewed their bishop and talked to them. about. We wanted to kind of understand the history, the past, present, and future of Catholicism in America. And so I know this is a Canadian podcast, but if in case the uh, you know this, these folks are, are interested in you know, learning the story of Catholicism in America, they can do that. Uh, the, the The website is thechair.com slash watch now. It's all completely free. Uh, so thechair.com slash watch now. You can check out the whole series. Um, we also do education. So we have uh, a portion of us, uh, of the company called uh, Catholic Telemedia Network that, that gives grants to 
Catholic schools in in the Northeast that uh, makes them competitive with the best private schools. We do agency services, so things like marketing, video production, and press and media relations for the different offices and agencies around New York. Um, and then finally, the tech, the technology piece that I was talking about before, where we try to uh, up level and modernize, you know, parish, school, ministry, diocese, communications through technology. That sounds really exciting. And you know, it's, it, I think it's fascinating to find out the history of Catholicism in other countries as well. I think that there's something uh, uh, special and unique about every, every story of, of salvation, of how Christ has come to different countries. And uh, actually, there's probably a lot of uh, similarities even with the United States and Canada of how Catholicism came to America and, and to Canada as well. But totally. uh, it's always it's always cool to to learn those things for sure. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about this uh, the, the discipleship study that DeSales Media mm-hmm. has uh, put on. This is uh, I think this is really interesting uh, data that's been compiled and uh, and something that uh, definitely we should be talking about in the church. So uh, mm-hmm. a lot of parallels between the church in Canada and the United States. Uh, a lot of the similar problems, probably a lot of things that are going well are probably similar as well. So, uh, but the right. data that's uh, collected, I think it's it's relevant to us Canucks up here as well. So, um, but first, what was the motivation, I guess, behind the study and, and uh, how big of a sample size did you end up uh, collecting? Yeah, great question. The sample size was over 3,000 respondents, so um, which we thought was really decent given, you know, how how limited in uh, in scope we wanted this audience segment to be looking at these, you know, truly devout Catholics. Um, in terms of how it came about, um, you know, we like I said, we've been offering tech products, um, you know, really kind of business to business type of tech products, meaning meaning, you know, our ministry helping other ministries like parishes or schools to do uh, to do, for example, website software, email communications, live mass streaming, like those types of things. So we're really enabling the parish, let's say, to then reach their parishioners, not reaching them directly. We said, well, what if we did want to reach? you know, being able to, to reach cons- consumers or, you know, parishioners, the faithful directly, you know, what, how, how, how would we, if that's the case, uh, then we wanted to know what are the unmet needs. So then we also thought about like, what does discipleship look like, right? So we we have, you have, uh, you know, it kind of mirrors, I'm a marketer, I told you that, I'm a marketer by trade. So I think of the marketing funnel where you have this awareness piece at the top and then people move through the, like few, fewer of the, so, so, you you enter through the into the funnel at the top of this awareness. You, you become aware of a product or a brand or something, and then you move down through the funnel into the next stage, which is consideration. Now you're learning about the product or the brand. You're considering whether or not you want to buy it. Finally, hopefully, the brand at least hopes that you make the purchase. You convert. It's funny that they call it conversion, uh, <laughs> and uh, and you and you make that decision to to buy. But it doesn't end there. They want you to be. They want you to become a loyal customer, right? So they hope you come back. And not just that, a customer so loyal that you become what they call a brand advocate, who goes out and tells all their friends. This this is the guy who's you know got a Harley Davidson tattoo on his bicep, right? Like so, just happy to do the marketing for him because he loves it that much. So that that's like the the marketer's dream in terms of a customer advocate. So what is that? I mean, that sounds a heck of a lot like discipleship to me, you know, we, yes. we move through this funnel until the point where we're so on fire for Jesus Christ. And we're so in love with the gospel that we can't help, but have this joy radiate from us. And we want to tell us about it. Right. And so that's, that is a missionary disciple. That is an intentional disciple going out on mission and bringing other people in at least, at least letting them hear the word. You know, obviously the spirit has a lot to do with it and we, we got to give the power over to God. But uh, but but that's where that awareness begins is with those people. So so if it's true, if this is true, and I think it is, 
that those are the people who are going out on mission and bringing others in the commission piece of the of that kind of funnel. Um, then the question became for us, what are the unmet needs of intentional disciples? What are the unmet needs of, the, of that particular audience segment within the church? That's where the study. So that is really what we were trying to ascertain is really what is the spiritual life like of these people and what do they need? You know, mm-hmm. and we couldn't, we didn't want to just ask that because so often with innovation, people don't really know uh, exactly what they need until they see it, right? Like, you remember when I always like to use the iPod example, you know, when, when iPods came out, like my, I still was listening to CDs, right? So it's like, I, why do I want this? My music is not an MP3 format, but I don't even know what that is. My music's on CDs, you know what I mean? And so it was like this kind of thing where it's like, you didn't even know you needed it till you, till you under, till you understood what it was and saw it. So we, you know, there's, there is some kind of nuance that we're allowing for where, we want the people's answers, but we also need to interpret them, you know, kind of read between the lines in, in some cases. The day I knew that I couldn't use CDs anymore, Dave, is the day that I, my newest vehicle just didn't have a CD player. <laughs> so, yeah, where, where does this go? Uh, yeah, better, yeah. Uh, better come back to the times, right? So, mm-hmm. no, that makes sense. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that example about marketing. Because uh, that's what I was getting at when I was saying, you know, that there's lessons that we can learn from some of the, maybe some of the experiences we've had in the secular world when we're working. Because, you know, even it comes to, say, educating your client on a product or something like that. Well, as Catholics, we're called to educate the ignorant, right? So mm-hmm. we're, we're actually sharing the faith. We're teaching people about the faith in order for them to, um, to come into a relationship with Christ. At least plant those seeds, right? Eventually, they're going to have to make that decision themselves, and the Holy Spirit's going to absolutely be a part of that. But uh, yeah, a lot of parallels, right? So, um, absolutely. Back to the the respondents. How did you qualify the respondents? Because I know you wanted to make sure that there was a, a segment of um, of the church that was uh, that was engaged and active in their faith. But uh, yeah, how did you, you sort of uh, I guess whittle down the respondents to to the the, the group that you wanted to to get those uh, the responses from to make them relevant? That's a great question, and I'm glad you asked. Um, so, I want to first. So, the, first of all, there was a, there were four screener questions that um, that we asked ahead of everything else, just to make sure that we had the right people you know, in the right place, and we you know we didn't want to waste anyone's time, and we didn't want you know invalid responses either. So, those four questions were: uh, Are you Christian? Are you Catholic? Are you in the U.S.? And uh, do you attend a mass at least once a week? Those mm-hmm. those were and and this was you know this was. The study was done really over the course of, I think, from May to December of last year in 2021. And so <clears throat> um, because COVID was kind of still around and different places were treating it differently, uh, we qualified uh, mass attendance as either online or in person at, at the time. So this was yeah, it was pretty, was pretty the, forgiving. All some people could do, right? So, yeah. Yeah. I think you guys were, were still locked down at that yeah, time. It was, uh, for it, was, a lot of... it was tough. There was, uh, they could only do it online. And actually our dispensation just lifted only about three or four months ago. So, yeah. Oh, praise yeah. God. Yeah. Praise God is right. <clears throat> So, um, so, so no, so no Canadians, addition, Dave, hey, eh? no guy, <laughs> unfortunately, no Canadians. We're, <laughs> we're trying to just make study. this as, that's the next so, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> we're trying to make this as targeted as possible. So, <laughs> and, and recognizing also that, uh, it's really, it really is difficult to make assumptions about people's interior lives based on external signals. And yet to ask, you know, are you an intentional disciple of Jesus Christ outright can be kind of off putting or, you know, 
people, uh, you know, many people who might be this, those disciples may not consider this themselves to be while others who really kind of aren't say that may say they are. So just, I don't, we didn't think asking was the right thing. So we wanted to design the study in a way where we could understand where they are based on kind of our definition through different questions. So in addition to those four screener questions that I mentioned, there was also kind of some cleanup that we did where we ended up removing about 186 responses because they either they really they weren't in the US we ended up like having some um we made an exception for one um group and I can go into like how we sourced the the responses but um so making sure they really weren't in the US uh, or really were in the US rather um we removed people that that said that faith is not a significant part or limited to a familial or cultural part of who they are mm-hmm. Uh, we eliminated people, I shouldn't say eliminated, we removed people uh, who never pray outside of mass. And we removed people who, where faith has zero impact on their family, social or interior life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we did kind of cull, you know, and we we're trying to be generous, you know, within this group, because I got to say, usually when you, when you run these kinds of studies, so we worked with uh, a great Catholic ministry called Vinia Research. We commissioned them to do this study. Um, you know, we're we're not a we're not a you know a research company. They are they 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 do Catholic consumer insights for a living. Um, and so you know we wanted to make sure that we got plenty of responses. But normally, when you source this kind of data, you just simply rent a list of people who said that they're Catholic, right? Who self-identified as being Catholic. We did that to start and zero of them passed even the first four questions. No no one was going to church regularly. Mm-hmm. So this told us, okay, this is this is a, a smaller slice of the of the of the pie than even you know, and we know that, right? Like, you know, I know dynamic Catholic um way back in the day when the four signs of a dynamic Catholic came out, um kind of listed identified the seven percent number as you know that's who is doing 80 percent of the giving and ministry and all that but and i think that you know if you think about your own parish experience you you know who the seven percent are at your parish right everyone knows kind of who those people are especially i'm sure if you're listening to this podcast you might you probably are one um but you also may may notice that even within that seven percent could you really say that all of them are intentional disciples like i don't I'm not, I'm not so sure, right? And I'm not I'm not trying to make this an exclusive club. I just let's be honest about the the state of discipleship among Catholics or among Christians in general. It's, you know, it's it's a it's a tall order and, you know, not so many respond as not so many as we wish would. So uh so I guess it wasn't surprising to me that, you know, we were getting none that way and we ended up what we ended up doing to try to to find where the intentional disciples are is I basically made a long list of Catholic organizations um, who I thought the audience would be full of intentional disciples. And I contacted those, those people, some of whom I knew before and some of whom I didn't. And uh, I said, would you be willing to you know, distribute this, this study for us? And that way um, we can get it in front of a lot more people. What's in it for you is we'll share the this data for you. What's in it for us is we we reached that that number. I mean, I think we only needed 500 responses for you know statistical significance, but I wanted it to be much bigger so that when we slice and dice the data later, uh, it's still meaningful as we get into like kind of the the, the individual cohorts of the data. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, interesting. You know, even that number that you you. Uh... I guess disqualified from this is really not that big of a number. It's a single digit, right? So you, it seemed like that uh, that strategy really of zeroing in on those uh, uh, certain organizations to kind of distribute uh, the news, yeah. I guess, and, and the uh, 
the uh, the questions it seemed to, to yeah. be very effective right so mm-hmm. I, you know i i was going through it's it's a great read actually there's a lot of data there dave uh, mm-hmm. as you know to uh, to peel through but a lot of interesting stuff there and and uh, one thing that i i noticed was that uh, there was a lot of people that responded that uh, when it comes to, to praying and prayers that uh, that praying the rosary and the divine mercy chaplet were, were very important to them and i thought that mm-hmm. was interesting these are kind of uh, well, I guess the, the the Divine Mercy Chaplet's a little bit newer when you think of the age of the church, but these are these are older, uh, very pious uh, uh, traditions and traditional prayers. But I thought that was that was quite interesting. There was a lot of people that responded with that uh, as their uh, kind of their go to prayer devotion. Right, right, and I think I think part of that is also just the fact that that's what everyone knows. You know, we all learn these rote prayers. Uh, at least, certainly the rosary and divine mercy chapel. I think it's pretty popular. Um, and so, if, you know, um, when you look, when you look at that slide uh, of, of data, um, the other thing that's tied with divine mercy chapel is personal prayer, which is kind of just this catch all for like when we do, when we have other types, you know, you know, um, whatever you want to call that silent prayer or whatever. Um, so it's nice to see that that's, that's higher on the list. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, what can I say? Yeah. No, Venus were particularly low, I would say. So only 6%. I, I thought that yeah. I was, I thought that was low. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. At 6%, that's, uh, you know, you always hear people talking about, uh, praying novenas as, a mm-hmm. as a part of their life, but, uh, you know, I guess that's always something, a number that can, uh, can be bumped up over time as people get a little bit more knowledge about it too. Right. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I think it's important because I, when I, when I first read this number here, Dave, I thought this was like, oh, this is, uh. This is a really high number, but it says nearly one in five respondents are uncomfortable sharing their faith with others. But uh, yeah, but I say, but but four and five are comfortable. But then, of course, we're talking about uh, you know disciples that are in the game right now, that are you know Catholics that are really trying their very best to uh, to live out their life of, of faith, right? But but still, one yeah. in five that that's quite a quite a, a bit, right, Dave? Like to feel uncomfortable and and uh, what are I guess some of the observations that you and your team have. Uh, have noticed with that uh, that number, that one in five of why people maybe are a little bit uh, hesitant to to share their faith with others. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you said that you're you can look at it both ways, right? You know, eighty percent sounds like a lot, or it's technically eighty two percent, but it sounds like sounds like a lot, but it's eighty two percent of the seven percent, right? Or maybe fewer than seven percent. So if if there's eighteen percent of of that you know, very devout Catholic group that is uncomfortable. How big is that number for most Catholics? I mean, probably huge, I would guess. So, but in terms of the, you know, these barriers to sharing the faith, um, the biggest one was situational appropriateness. Um, The next following that was lack of knowing how to start conversations, um, lack of confidence, not wanting to offend and lack of experience. Mm-hmm. Those were those were the top five cited reasons for, you know, um, as a barrier to evangelization, essentially. And sometimes it can get a little bit scary too. You know, if you're, you know, yeah. even for myself, we're I'm trying to spend my life learning more about the faith, wanting to share the faith. But you know, sometimes even our, our non-Catholic uh, brothers and sisters, our, our separated brothers and sisters in, in Protestant mm-hmm. communities. You know, they'll come up with with arguments very, you know, they can come up with one, two, three, five, six very quickly. And you're, you kind of mm-hmm. feel a little bit overwhelmed. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not always easy to come up with a response. Right. That's uh, mm-hmm. and it can be a little bit intimidating. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was also looking at the numbers. Uh, the number is similar here, but it said, uh, you know, when we um, the uh, the matter about, um, 
eighty percent of respondents say that it uh, that uh, faith should not be kept as a, a private matter, uh, mm-hmm. or at least that's what you hear from the secular world. Hey, you know, you're Catholic, you know, keep your faith to yourself. Don't talk about mm-hmm. abortion. Don't talk about uh, the message that you heard at your sermon uh, on mm-hmm. Sunday morning, right? Uh, don't mm-hmm. talk about that. That's that's separate. Of course, that's not a Catholic. Yeah. Uh, position no, it's all. like That's... we're taught. We're taught like you don't bring up politics or religion, right? It's like, well, actually, you know, if you're serious about your faith, you know, it's. I think it's just going to come up. It's not even. It's not even the decision that you're really making, right? Because it's kind of it's pervading every part of your life. So, it's like GK you know, Chesterton said, Dave, is there anything else to talk about other than religion and politics? <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it's you know it, it, it makes sense, right? It, even if you were simply saying a prayer before your meal in front of whoever you're dining with, right? Mm. Something like that. You know, okay, they, I mean they may ignore it, but it it kind of already came up, so to speak. You know, you know. Uh, so it's a powerful it, witness too. It really is. Mm. You don't have to be in anybody's face about it, but you say no. a prayer or do the sign of the cross in public. Boy, that's a that's a real powerful sign. That's right. That's right. Hundred percent. It makes. Yeah. That also makes me wonder. This has nothing to do with the study, but I'm just, you know, I, it, I'm I'm perpetually curious about why Ash Wednesday is so uh, popular, even among people who don't go to church at all the rest of the year. They may go on Christmas, Easter, or even not at all, but they still get their ashes on Ash Wednesday. Mm. There's still this there's interest in witnessing to the faith, right? And somehow, you know, witnessing that we are marked by Christ in some in some way, mm. e- even for people who just don't aren't even showing up. I, I don't, I can't, I don't know what that is. I, I think it's in us somehow. You well, know? there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. And, and mm-hmm. Christ, Jesus desires all, all people to, to join the church, all people to be close to him. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that uh, from the outside world, when they look at Catholicism and they see our outward signs, right. And I think that's yeah. why it's so important. They're like, yeah, something mysterious, but something uh, uh, that's, that, that's uh, attractive about Catholicism. Yeah. When they see people with ashes on their heads on Ash Wednesday. Yeah. It's like, yeah. that is really different. That is mm-hmm. odd, but boy, that's interesting. What, why are yeah. you doing that? And again, yeah. another great example of a way that we can evangelize. And boy, you know, in the last couple of years, because of the um, the increase of, uh, you know, social media and, and people getting a lot of their news and a lot of their uh, uh, interaction with other people through social media, They'll even see, you know, some uh, well-known Catholics. I was thinking of Mark Wahlberg, right, Dave? That mm. every Ash Wednesday, he's got ashes on his head. And uh, credit to him, he says exactly why he has ashes on his head. And, and people are like, oh, I didn't know that. That's really interesting, you know, from uh, dust you mm-hmm. come and from dust you shall return. And it's uh, mm-hmm. it's an interesting um, uh, interesting that uh, we have Catholics that are doing that, which I think is, is outstanding. As much as we have, as much as the secular culture has brought about this you know, culture of death, as as St. John Paul II called it, uh, we really don't we don't want to think about death as a culture, right? This is, this is something that as a topic, we just completely avoid most of the time. So it is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, My, my, you know, just to, just to wrap up on the Ash Wednesday thing, the, the cynic in me says, well, this is the only way to, to get something out of church without being there for an hour. (laughs) You know, they figured they, they figured out the fast, the, uh, the drive-through basically. Uh, (laughs) No kidding. That's pretty anyway. much it. That's something you can come out with and show everybody what you got, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, I noticed another one too. Uh, it was really neat to see that people um, express a desire to go to confession regularly. I thought that was really interesting. Mm. Um, and then the other one was kind of related to that, Dave, is spiritual direction because we know that we have, you know, our priests are working so hard. They've got so many things to do and, and we need to pray that we have more vocations to the, to the priesthood and religious life for sure. Um, Absolutely, but uh, yeah, I, I thought there were some interesting findings too on spiritual direction 
and uh, and some of the findings that uh, were on that topic, Dave. You want to maybe share some of those? Yeah. Um, so around spiritual direction, um, we found that 48% of this audience have never received spiritual direction. 48% of the most devout Catholics. Mm. So, I mean, that's kind of, and, and uh, another 33% have received spiritual direction in the past, but are not currently receiving it. So only 20% of respondents of the, of the, you know, the most devout Catholics uh, are receiving what's one in five. That's very, very low. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I heard a story recently. Uh, I was taking a course um, down in DC uh, last week on Catholic social teaching um, from uh, it was, it was given by the um, cap. Are you familiar with cap USA? So um, JP two wrote a, um, an encyclical in 1991 called Centesimus Anus, which was basically a hundred years of Catholic social teaching since Pope Leo the 13th, you know, um, um, I'm blanking on the name, uh, Regna, uh, Navarum. I, I can't think of it, but Rerum Navarum. There we go. Yes, yes, okay. um, and, uh, and basically, uh, what John Paul II asked for was to have, uh, basically this, you know, to have Catholic social teaching promulgated throughout the different countries and taught so that people can understand, you know, the, the, this, these, these so important concept of human dignity, solidarity, subsidiarity, and the, the common good, right? Uh, respect for the whole person type of stuff. And so, um, anyway, that's, that's what the course was, uh, was. And I, anyway, I, I met a, I met a woman there who told me about this, um, the fact that there was a, and I haven't, I haven't seen the article yet, so I don't know. I can't, I can't uh, quote it yet, but apparently I think it was either in the diocese or in a particular parish, but I think in the diocese, they started offering spiritual direction to, um, people, to the confirmation students and a hundred percent of them accepted the, the spiritual director. And what's more is, uh, Almost all of them continue to be active in their faith after confirmation class ended, which you know is often when they stop being active, right. right? Because it's mm-hmm. the high school age, and even through college, and the, and they stayed they stayed active, going to mass, <clears throat> receiving the sacraments. So it's just really encouraging mm-hmm. how important spiritual direction can really be, right? To have that person who who accompanies you in the journey. And you look at the lives of saints too, Dave, and uh, that was a, a huge part of their their journey, right? And their journey to, to sainthood and to heaven was having a spiritual director. I mean, you can go pretty much through every major saint you can think of and they all had spiritual directors. Right. Um, but I guess the struggle, I said, just maybe to find the priests or the people that are qualified to give that direction, right? right. It's, it's not always easy. So we need to we need to keep right. praying that we can get more because, boy, um, like you said, confirmation, that is such a, a critical age, isn't it, Dave? Like it's right when they're starting to, yes. to get out into the world and this world is not a friendly place to to believers of Jesus Christ and anybody that wants to practice virtue and living life in a state of grace. That's for sure. That's um, right. So the, uh, outside, I mean, like I said, this is a, it's a great, uh, report. There's a lot of data in there, but, mm-hmm. uh, what, what would you say are kind of the most interesting conclusions that, that you've, you and your team have noticed from there that, uh, outside of the ones that we've already talked about? Yeah. Outside of those, um, I thought it was interesting that we saw that almost all respondents, use both physical and digital aids in living out their faith you know we we kind of thought that there would be like the the physical 
you know, Bibles, prayer cards, uh, books, what have you. And then those who use the digital stuff, you know, like uh, iBrievery or a po podcast or things like that. But it turns out that almost all of them use both. So that, that was interesting. You know, it seems like uh, people are kind of living, you know, we truly have an integrated media eco ecosystem or culture within our lives. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that, that was interesting to me was that more than half of these respondents do not go on retreat. Um, and they do, they do not make annual retreats or seemingly maybe ever. Um, and yet that same number, half of them do admit to a need in a need for growth in the, in that area of their spiritual lives. So mm -hmm. that was kind of one way that we approached these different aspects that you, you, you were talking about as well. Um, which includes spiritual direction, confession, things like that. Some of these, um, kind of, un kind of understanding like where, where are the weaknesses and strengths and then, uh, looking at, okay. So of the, of the acknowledged weaknesses, do they also acknowledge there's a need for growth? And thankfully we are seeing that acknowledged need among, you know, retreats, which I do think is really important. And honestly, I gotta say, I'm a little behind. <laughs> I have not, I did not get my retreat in this year. Well, it confirms a need to, for people or a recognition that we need to take ourselves out of the world, right, Dave? We need to take ourselves mm -hmm. out of the world and, and start to, uh, and have, have some time to focus on our relationship with Christ. Where are we at having some of that silence and that reflection? Um, I think there's a, there's a need for that. And it's nice to see that our, that our Catholics are recognizing that as well. And sometimes maybe people just don't know where to go to a retreat. Sometimes you can go one for one evening. Sometimes you can go for a weekend or a week. There's yeah. a lot of different types of retreats. So um, and that's where I think that, that that was sort of why we did the study, right? I mean, if you recall, the, the reason was let's learn about these people and let's understand what the unmet needs are. And what we're hearing is people, uh, you know, 61% of people who have not uh, ever done, not done spiritual direction, uh, their top reason is they don't know how to find someone for spiritual direction, uh, yep. right? Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, And I think it's the same with retreats. I mean, I personally, you know, when looking for retreats, it is not easy to find these things so these are i think some of the white space that we that we can kind of start to address like at the sales media we we really prefer to partner with people i i, I think there's a lot of unnecessary competition that happens in the church because people uh seek to do their own thing first and rather than you know uh see how they can work together with other talented ministries and individuals so uh if nothing else what I hope is just to have more conversations with people like you and other people who work in ministry to say, like, how is this something that we can tackle together? Is this something that we're interested in going together on? Hey, man, there's no competition for the gospel, is there, Dave? Like, there, there really right. shouldn't be. And uh, the need is so great, isn't it? It's just massive. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, some of that previous uh, uh, the book, the Dyna dynamic Catholic Matthew Kelly is who you're referring to, right? And right, and just that that small percentage of of really active disciples in our parishes. Then all that's all you need to know to to know how big that uh, the uh, let's use a secular term the market is. <laughs> for, that's right for souls out there that we need to reach out to. I wanted mm -hmm. to ask you too just about um, I thought the age demographic was interesting. Mm. Um, when you look at uh, people that responded between 58 and 76, so that's the boomer generation, that was over 50% of the respondents. So mm. what was interesting there is a lot of people point out to that age demographic and say that they're the ones that typically don't use a lot of social media or don't use apps or, or, or any kind of electronics. Uh, that, that seems to be not the case then because uh, that's how they were reached in this study, right? So right, I think we right. need to give those folks, our brothers and sisters, our elderly 
brothers and sisters in Christ a little bit more credit. I think they're a little more tech savvy than we think. But uh, um, that was interesting to me. And then, of course, yeah, just anybody below 40, actually, there wasn't really a, a lot, Dave. I don't know. Is that is that fair to say? I mean, 16% people under 41 out of the uh, the respondents. Um, is there anything that, uh, that you want to maybe... Any observations on that uh, that number I mean, and why that was so low? Well, I mean, have you been to Catholic Church yeah, <laughs> lately? Right. I mean, look, you know, look around at the pews. Like this is the church is a very very aging church, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Now, I honestly so and if if you look at this, if you look at this uh, the, the the chart that we made on on age. Uh, that that's organized by generation. It is it is almost a bell curve. So I was actually yeah. happy to see that we you know the unfortunate ends you know higher, but people live longer these days too. So the middle of the curve is the is the second boomer generation, the, those who are fifty eight to sixty seven in age. So yes, like it it is certainly you know <laughs> second half of life type of thing. But I you know I was happy to see that we have twenty five percent of Gen Xers in there. Mm-hmm. You know uh, those forty two to fifty seven. So, um, but yeah, I just I really think that just represents the church in general. I, you know, I, there's a reason why parishes are merging and closing. There's a reason why there's so few priests to go around. We just we you know there's a reason why books like from Christendom to Apostolic Mission from University of Mary are so necessary. Right? We're we're not living in a Christendom age. Christendom age where we can just assume that everyone is Catholic or Christian anymore. This is, this is a, uh, so yeah, we, <laughs> the, the problem has been around for a while and hopefully that these studies like this can help people notice, you know, um, certain, certain ways that we might be able to engage people further in their discipleship and, and turn this trend around. It should be a wake up call for all of us to see what, yeah. uh, what direction things are going in and, and, uh, and how we can help, how we can, we can pray and discern and uh, and work together, right? To to find mm-hmm. some ways that we can we can bring more people to, to church, especially some of our young people, all of our young right. people, of course. Um, right. The you know the last couple of years it's been crazy, Dave. Like I mean, people have been, you know, we're talking about dispensation earlier from from going to mass. A lot of people have uh, just been tuning in on their computers. Sadly, a lot of people have been leaving the church. Uh, you know, it's mm. like anything to do with habits, right? You know, it doesn't take you very long to form bad habits. So it's only, uh, it could only be a few days. Uh, forming good habits takes a lot longer, right? That's right. And uh, so um, every parish is different, but I can I can say, you know, based on my little straw polls, whenever I talk to people from different parishes in Canada and the United States, is that uh, the attendance is, um, either it's catastrophically dropped or it's, uh, you know, dropped at least 10 or 20%. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and some of those parishes consider themselves blessed that that's all it is. Um, mm-hmm. Another interesting uh, point about this report is that there is uh, a, a desire for people, uh, for our, you know, the disciples, our, our intentional disciples already to have, uh, to be together, uh, whether that's in Bible studies mm-hmm. or, or they want to connect with other people inside their parish, especially, and in, in their diocese as well, kind of secondary, but there is a need to connect with people on a local level. And I think that's, that's mm-hmm. an interesting, uh, uh, conclusion or at least an observation there as well. Eh, Dave? Yeah, I agree. And, and conversely, uh, a disinterest in, con- in connecting with people on, on a, on a broader level. So you maybe because it's we, easier to do that, right? You, I mean, you look at well, social yeah. media, I mean, we, I mean, Hey, that's what brought us together too, Dave, you know, probably 20 years ago, I don't know if we would have connected in this way, but I mean, it's, it is nice to have those, uh, the, the church can be connected in, in ways, uh, uh, through the internet that uh, may have not have yeah. been available a few decades ago. But yeah, do you think right. that's maybe what it is? I mean, people go on Twitter and Facebook and they can follow any Catholic from anywhere, right? So, 
Yeah, I mean, there's that. And I also think that uh, ca- these particular, these Catholics in particular, these devout Catholics probably understand better than almost anyone in the world that uh, that true um, authentic community happens in person. Like we are an incarnational people, right? And so I think there's something about, I mean, I love doing this podcast with you and, and thank, you know, thank God for, for Zoom and techn- all the technology that allows us to have it, to do this. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we're not connecting in, a, in the same way as, as we would if we were actually sitting across the table with each other, mm-hmm. having a beer or something like that. So uh, the, I, I think that that's maybe the recognition. And also, you know, um, when you when you meet with people in your own community, there, there's some there's a commonality that just isn't present uh, otherwise. Right. There's you, you care uh, for the different for the same thing. Like you, you might have, you know concerns around what's going on in your town you know that's something that other people just can't share in a way that you could you know you, you can with those that are near you so i think there's that too like that principle um, of subsidiarity right it's uh, that's right yeah that's the, right the local level is where um you know the the real community really happens and and you know your parish needs are a lot different than probably the parish that you go to right and and uh, right. here in alberta so uh, right. We were all common in our sacraments and our desire to to live life in a state of grace and close to Christ, but uh, at a parish level, and the needs of the local parishioners are a lot different as you go to uh, from parish to parish, right? So that's right. I think it just it just highlights that um, you know when we were away from each other for such a long time, we really need each other in this walk to heaven, mm-hmm. don't we, Dave? We really need each other, and I think that's uh, that's an interesting. Um, uh, statistic that's that came out of this report is and i think that uh, for wall parishes i think we need to to look at that and find ways that we can get people together again and uh obviously to receive the eucharist and go to confession live that sacramental yeah. life but that the extra of, of bringing people yeah. back together again right so um, i want to call out one i want to call out one other thing about this by the way sure. if, if you if you're listening to this and you find yourself if you if you're listening to this and you say to yourself, "Yeah, I I am that devout Catholic. That that's 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 me that this survey is speaking to." Then I would encourage you, be that example in people's lives in person. It's so important to model this because I don't, you know, it. Obviously, we have the Bible and all of these wonderful stories about Jesus. We we know all the stories of the saints. We've seen we we kind of hear about examples, but until you actually see it, someone living it, I think that's when it really becomes real. So so be, please don't hold back. <laughs> Go out and model this to the people in your lives. I think it, I think that is so so important. Amen. Well, that's for sure. What what I guess are is. Uh... Your hopes for the sales media. What what are your hopes for this report? Uh, this uh, yeah, uh, is it is this something that you want to see parishes implement or look at or, or a diocese level? Like what what are your sort of what are, what are you hoping for the uh, uh, the uh, the results going to be from what you're yeah. sharing with other people and and how should it be implemented? Yeah, so I think of uh, three audiences uh, for my hopes. One is, and I'll go through each one. One one is the you know the kind of the average Catholic in the pews, uh, especially the intentional disciples among us. The second is uh, people who work in ministry, and the third is is for uh, ourselves at DeSales. So, um, the first one, the just just the average Catholics, especially devout devout Catholics, read through the study and and learn what. Um, 
learn what the behaviors look like. You know, as a marketer, uh, we kind of learn not to trust our own experiences and that, and to think that they're universal, right? Everyone has a different story. So it's really helpful to have the data. I, you know, some people say, oh, you know, <laughs> we just need the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit has blessed us with the ability to collect data like this. This is, this is, this is, a, this is a gift. Uh, and so let's learn the data and understand what are what are these people's spiritual lives like so that we can identify people who might be close right who might who might need that extra encouragement or invitation or whatever to go, to go deeper into their faith and, and and get into that place of becoming that brand advocate that intentional disciple on mission for sure um, yeah yeah sorry that's that's my that's the first my first yeah, hope yeah. did you no keep going yeah uh, absolutely the second is for people in ministry. Um, like I said, I you know there's a lot of data here that can help. You know, it depend, no matter no matter what your ministry touches, I think there's something in here that you're going to care about. So I encourage you read through the report, see see where you think the opportunities are that you maybe aren't addressing or didn't realize was maybe a blind spot for you, um, and uh, and and you know benefit from that like ask yourself are we meeting is there a need that we that we kind of meet that we weren't maybe addressing in in the spiritual lives of some of these people and then for the sales um like i said before i i would i would love to hear from people working in ministry uh, or individuals who are you know who just are are, are curious to help um because i want to i want to have these conversations about how can we go together in doing so and then the other thing is we're actually not done interpreting the data. This this is the initial report where we where we report on all the answers to all the questions. What we're now doing is going back through and doing what they call cross tabulations. So we're taking a look at, you know, of I don't know, Gen Xers, like the, how many of those are praying every day or or you know, um of people who go to mass, uh, you know, more than ev just every week, do, does that influence how how much how close they think their Catholic faith is to the center of their life? Things like that. So being able to slice and dice the data, and when we have that, we'll be we'll be back with with more uh, to share. Well, that's great. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that. That's uh, that's great, and uh, really uh, appreciated. Uh, you know, you guys putting this this report together. There's a lot of great data here for sure. So. David, mm -hmm. it's been a, a real blessing to to have you on the podcast, and it's great to to at least meet you virtually. I hope that one day maybe you can come up and uh, if you're ever coming out to Vancouver to visit the visit the the guys at uh, Glass Canvas, or maybe you can make a stop in Alberta and we can uh, say hi and maybe have that beer over a conversation. That'd be <laughs> that'd be a lot of fun. Um, I would love that. That'd be uh, fantastic. So, where can people access uh, this the full report and? Uh, and if people want to follow the sales media or yourself, is there uh, mm -hmm. ways that they can track you guys down? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, St. Francis to sales is our patron saying. So D E S A L E S media.org to salesmedia.org slash discipleship is where this report is for free. Um, Otherwise, you know, you can find us at DeSales Media on on the web if you uh, or on social if you if that's your thing, um, and you can also reach out to us. So there's there's a form on the website if you'd like to get in touch with me. Just fill out that get in touch form, and uh, I'll, I, I would love to uh, hear from you and and start up a conversation. Outstanding. Thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate. It. God bless you and your work, and we'll be in touch. Thanks so much, Dave. You too. Well, a big thanks again to Dave Plisky from DeSales Media for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Some fascinating uh, research and data that they have collected and are sharing with the church. It's so important. Head over to DeSalesMedia.org for more information. We'll also have the full report in the show notes, and uh, I think you're going to get a lot of great information out of that. So let's continue to pray for DeSales Media 
and for Dave and his whole team there and the great work that they continue to do in the church. Well, after interviewing Dave, I got a little bit more of an interest in St. Francis de Sales. Of course, I'd read about his life, but heard about a little bit about his life and his, uh, his great journey to, to being a saint, of course, a doctor of the church and uh, the namesake, of course, of de Sales Media and their patron saint. And uh, he had such a great devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And uh, one of the prayers that he prayed a lot, because he went through times of spiritual dryness, and uh, he had a fear, especially when he was young, of, uh, of hell, and uh, that he wasn't going to make it to heaven. And I know in this time in the world, we've got uh, a lot of our brothers and sisters here in the church that are really struggling with a lot of things, and I, I totally understand. I'm trying to understand more, and I hope that um, this podcast in a small way can help you a little bit as we journey together. I know the worst thing that the devil can do is just tell you you're alone. And make, uh, make it seem like we're alone in this journey to heaven, but that is uh, simply not true. We have each other, we have the saints, and we have the Blessed Virgin Mary. So St. Francis de Sales was very devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and this was one of the prayers that he would pray often. And a lot of you have heard of it. It's called the Memorari. I'm going to challenge myself to memorize this and say it often as well, and I hope you do as well. Here's how it goes. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. Follow us on Twitter, on Facebook. Drop us a line. Drop me a line anytime. Uh, send me an email, a note. I love hearing from you. And also, if you could like, subscribe, and drop us a review on wherever you've listened to your fine podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, any of those platforms. Really appreciate that. And of course, hey, we're recording this and releasing this in the month of November. But it doesn't matter what month of the year. We need to remember the souls in purgatory. And let's offer up our, our works, our joys, our sufferings, our inconveniences. And let's have some masses prayed. Or masses said, I should say. For the holy souls in purgatory especially those of our family members uh, people in our parish and even pray for those who have been forgotten about sometimes we don't even know their names but the lord knows exactly uh, who needs the most help when they're in purgatory and there are so many forgotten souls there so uh, let's uh, let's renew our devotion to those souls because when they get to heaven they're going to be helping us they're going to be interceding for us before jesus and uh, and helping us get to our eternal reward, which is in heaven. And that's something that we should all be meditating on and looking forward to. And living life in a state of grace, that's the only way we're going to get to heaven. And uh, the best thing that we can do, there's so many good things we can do, daily scripture reading, study the catechism, wear some sacramentals, uh, like your uh, your miraculous medal or your scapular. And of course, you got to go to confession often. You got to go at least three times every year, every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless, and we'll chat with you very soon. 